listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. Special treat today. I want you to meet a humble hero right here. This is Gina. Glad to have you here with us today. Awesome, awesome, awesome. This is something really interesting, amazing happened to Gina this particular past week. And it was so amazing that I needed to have her come up and share her story personally with you. Her story can be your story. In fact, her story might be your story. And if it's not yet, it could be. Gina, what happened this week? Tell us what happened. Well, if you know college campuses today, there's a lot of topics that are discussed, um, like the LGBTQ and transgender topics um, are very prevalent on campus, and um, I feel like our Christian voices are not as tolerated as they used to be. So there was a presentation that was advertised. It was given by a professor from the Mass Communications Department that really caught my attention. That presentation was given this past Wednesday, and I attended. The reason I attended was the summary, which I wanted to read to you because it was so um, inflammatory in a sense. It said, for years, the Christian identity, KKK, and Aryan nation movements promoted the belief that whites are the Bible's chosen people and are therefore the superior race. Recently, more mainstream Christian conservative and alt-right organizations have espoused an equally singular animosity towards LGBT citizens. As LGBTQ rights advance socially and politically, many conservative Christian groups increase their calls to action from mere contempt through speech, protected by the First Amendment, to avert threats and promotion of violence. This study uses textual analysis to evaluate external messaging, websites, newsletters, fundraising appeals, and merchandise of organizations to identify themes, strategies, and appeals used against the LGBT community. When I saw this, my um, concern was that Christianity was being misrepresented um, I would say to so. the campus. Don't you I think? would say so. Now, <laughs> just to be clear, just to be clear and objective, there are people out there who, in the name of Jesus, have bullied other people. Yes. We're not among those people, nor will we ever be. Right. Nor is it wise or helpful to paint with such a broad sweeping brush that we throw out the baby with the bathwater. The Bible doesn't teach bullying, and we also need to be careful that in the process of addressing bullying, we don't end up bullying God. Very important to understand. It's actually possible to bully God if you bully his people when his people are actually representing him well. And so something welled up in you. You were a little bit concerned about what we would call reverse intolerance, right? You were concerned about that. You're reading the book unapologetically. Imagine that. I wrote a book that people are actually reading. That's a good thing. And you decided to do what? Well, I decided to go um, and listen. And there was about 30 people in the room, which kind of surprised me given the inflammatory nature. How did you prepare for this meeting? Well, I read your book. Seriously, I did. I prayerfully considered going, and after your message last week, I was convicted that God was really um, pushing me to step out of my comfort zone and go to this meeting and listen. And that is something that I do sometimes have a difficulty doing. I'm Italian like you, so I like to talk. 
And sometimes I don't listen the way I should. So I wanted to go, and it was made very clear to me that I needed to go listen um, to what they had to say. And, and also, I read your book, uh, well, six chapters of it the night before, um, to prepare. And there's a lot of notes that I took um, from his book to encourage me. And one of which said, the war is not against people, but against ideologies and sin. The war is about learning to speak truth with love so that people are drawn toward Jesus and not driven from him. And I didn't want to go in there with an attitude of uh, what they were basically preaching that Christianity stood for. And I also um, read, speak up and speak out, but don't knock others down in the process. That was another quote from his book that encouraged me. I had many here, and I don't have time to read all of them, but... Um, the one thing I did want to say also, the one thing that really encouraged me because I do struggle with this, is to remember it is not about winning arguments, but winning souls. And this is how the culture is truly transformed. And I needed to be in that room ready to transform culture. And um, only by the grace of God did I stand there and attempt to do that. I have to read you what one of the things that she said. She gave us a definition of hate, and it said, socially created attitudes in the form of prejudice against groups seen as threats to one's own identity. Well, at the end of the presentation, I quoted that back to her, and I said, I told her my identity was in Jesus Christ, and I am a Christian, and this definition would apply um, to what is being said here today about my faith. And I also um, wrote something back to her that she had said and had a slide that read these words, which really shocked me. LGBTQ hate is Christian and sanctified by God. And I couldn't believe what I was reading. Um, I called her out on that, and um, I told her that was why I wanted to come today, because I don't want folks to have the wrong idea about Christianity, and this statement is absolutely false. <laughs> um, I did, I did agree with her, though, like, like Pastor Mike said earlier, that um, there are groups that she brought up, obviously, were appalling, KKK. I mean, you can't even, you know, how we could even be lumped in with them is, is, is unbelievable. And she did talk about the Westboro Baptist Church. And of course, the way they carry themselves is appalling, and they do not represent Christianity. And I made that very clear to her. But I did use a... Um, quote from Mike's book of what you said earlier, and I said, look, that true Christians have been guilty of bullying and loving a position more than a person, and for that we should be significantly repentant. And I did say that to her. The facilitator tried to stop the conversation at that point and said, well, I'm sure what she meant by that slide about hate is that it's just what her summarization is of what she found on these various websites. And I will say that the, the speaker, the presenter, did actually somewhat back off and say, I didn't mean to marginalize you. Um, so I did feel like she was listening. But I did ask her uh, a question. I asked her, well, okay, that said, what do you think true Christianity is? You're representing it here, and um, you say that you're going to study mainstream Christianity next in your research. So what is true Christianity? And she couldn't answer that question. And I encouraged her, and I said, well, given that is your focus of your research, I, I encourage you to research and discover what true Christianity is because it is not what has been said here today. And at that point, they cut me off, and, I, and that was the end of the discussion. But I did try to talk to her afterwards, and she left. But I did get the opportunity to talk to a couple students. I had students come up to me and tell me, thank you for standing up for Christianity. And... and I, and I told him only by the grace of God and by this book, I can tell you that this book really is what, um, besides God himself, inspired me and gave me encouragement. It's very practical. Um, I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to stand up in your workplaces and in your neighborhoods for Jesus because 
for such a time as this. I, I never thought, I've worked at university for 30 years, I never thought I'd have to give that message to folks. And it's worrying and disconcerting, and I'm not going to remain silent. Um, and I will do it in love. And this is what this book has helped me to do. Fantastic. Thank you, Gina. Thank you. Gina is a rock star. Gina is a rock star. You just met a real-life rock star. And you might be thinking, I'm talking about Steven Tyler. I'm not talking about Steven Tyler. I'm talking about being a rock star, somebody who you can be. You can be a rock star, too. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 in the Word of God, and let's understand how you can be a rock star. That's what I want to talk about in the remainder of our time. Gina demonstrates for us how to be a rock star, and you can be a rock star too. She's been reading A Call for Courage, and unapologetically, I wrote that book for you. I wrote it for you. I think we've had enough of people saying, the sky is falling, look at the condition of the nation. It doesn't matter if that's all we do. If all we do is talk about the condition of the nation and we don't get to the solution to what the problems are in the nation, who is Jesus Christ, real, authentic, genuine Christianity, not what the world has seen as Christianity, not the gobbledygook and the nonsense and the reverse intolerance that's now taking place against people of faith. See, the world needs to see rock stars today, and you can be a rock star. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, Jesus said, and he still says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You can be a rock star. Anybody can be a rock star. Gina is a rock star because she simply made the decision to build her life on the person and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And when you build your life on the person and the teachings of Jesus Christ, you become a rock star. You become somebody who is steadfast and immovable, that when the winds come and the rains come and the difficulties and the hardships of life pound against you relentlessly, mercilessly, you can and you will stand and deliver. You'll stand and deliver. And it's time for you. It's time for me. It's time for all of God's people. There are so many of us in the United States of America. It's time for us to stand and deliver with courageous humility. Courageous humility to speak the truth in love. The most unloving, hateful thing that you can do this week is to know the truth that God has given you, that the rock Jesus Christ has given you, the teachings of Jesus, the most unloving thing you can do this week is to know the truth and not share it with the people around you. 
Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The most loving thing you can do for people, the most loving thing we can do for people is share the words of Jesus Share the truths of Jesus with them because when you do that, you give them an opportunity to be set free. And there are a lot of people throughout our nation these days who need to be set free. Yes, Christianity is under attack, but it's not the biblical form of Christianity. And even when it is the biblical form of Christianity, so what? And yes, people are trying to rebrand us, and yes, There are people within the body of Christ who are responsible for some of that rebranding because in some instances we've spoken the truth but not with love. In other instances we haven't spoken the truth and we haven't even spoken that with love. In many cases we're known as believers for what we're against and not what we're for. And listen, it's high time in our nation that people begin to discover once again the biblical Jesus and biblical Christianity and that God's people rise up as the rock stars that God called us to be. God has called you to be a rock star, to build your life on the person of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And when you do that, you begin to stand up, you begin to speak out, you begin to live a life of humble courage, And when you begin to do that, and you begin to do that, you begin to do that, you do that, you do that, you do that, I do that. When we all begin to do that, the revival that needs to happen in the nation will be underway. The change that needs to happen in our nation needs to begin with you, not the person next to you, you. If you and I get serious about being rock stars for Jesus and leaving the consequences with God, We will see a mighty spiritual awakening in this nation and your life will be at the epicenter of it. You will be at a ground level. You will be right there in the thick of the mighty movement of the spirit of God that our nation needs. And we have to remember that Christianity is not just a religion. It is a movement of God. That's what Christianity is. It's a movement of God. And that's why we've spent so much time through the book of Acts studying and understanding how Christians live. And so in this final message, capping off all of the messages through the book of Acts, I want you to turn to Acts in our Father's Word, to the last chapter in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 29. Turn with me to Acts chapter 29. And we're going to read here what the Word of God says. You might be tempted to say there is no Acts 29. And I would say to you, you're absolutely wrong. Because you and I are Acts 29. This is the continuing story. The book of Acts is all that Jesus continued to do through the church. And Acts 29 is your life and my life. And don't you forget it. And don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. God wants to write history through you, through your life, through me and my life, through us and our lives. That's what this whole Bible is about. 
It's not what God used to do. It's what God continues to do through faithful people, ordinary, regular people who are surrendered to God when ordinary, regular people build their lives on the rock, Jesus, and his teachings. Jesus, the rock, begins to do extraordinary things through their lives. And this is what we've been seeing through the entire book of Acts. And this is what God wants to do today in your life. You can move with God. You can move and shake with God. You can be a world changer at your workplace and in your family and in your neighborhood. Surrender to God, trust him, and leave the consequences at his feet. And God will move you forward and write history through you. Acts chapter 1 in verse 8. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The whole foundation of the book of Acts and your life and mine comes down to this right here, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit, a primary fundamental role of the Holy Spirit, is to transform you into someone who's no longer a coward about the truth but you're now courageous about the truth. You say to yourself, well, I don't have the guts to do what I need to do. Well, neither did Gina have the guts to do what she needed to do. Neither do I have the guts to do what I need to do. Nobody is born courageous. Courage is the byproduct of meeting with God. Courage is the byproduct of being filled with the Holy Spirit. When you let God fill you, you will overflow to become a witness for Jesus. You have God's word on it. You may become my witnesses. No, you will become my witness. You will do what you otherwise would not do, say what you otherwise would not say, transform and change things and people and situations that would otherwise continue to go to hell in a handbag. It's not about your capabilities. It's not about your courage. It's not about your strength. It's not about your education. It's not about your eloquence. It's not about your good looks or your lack of good looks. It's not about your money. It's not about fill in the blank. It's about the person and the works of Jesus Christ, courtesy of the Holy Spirit. You receive power when you come to know Jesus as your Savior. You might say to yourself, but my life doesn't seem very powerful. You go to the hardware store today, and pretty soon you're going to do something that I'm going to do. You're going to go into your garage or into your shed, and you're going to pull out a green or a black thing or something that's that color. It looks like a long snake, only it's all the same thickness. It's called a garden hose. And you're going to turn your spigots on after you attach this garden hose to it, and you're going to go out, and you're going to begin to water either your grass or you're going to water your garden. And you might recognize something. In the course of trying to water your grass or your garden, that not a whole lot of water is coming out at the end of that hose. And you might say to yourself, it's not working and it's watering 101. First thing you do is go back and look for kinks in the garden hose. And when you take care of those kinks, the water begins to flow. And as a result of that water beginning to flow, your grass will get green, your garden will begin to grow, It's an essential necessity of growth. Got to have water. So you might say to yourself, I don't see and I don't sense and I don't recognize the power of God flowing through my life. You need to unkink the garden hose of your life and surrender to God. 
You need to remember that nobody who resists God ever comes out a winner. In those areas of your life, whether great or small, there's no such thing as a small sin. The Holy Spirit is easily grieved. And when you allow resistance in your life, you want to talk about the resistance? The real resistance is when we resist God, when the Spirit of God is prompting us and urging us and compelling us and wooing and pursuing us, and we say, no, Jesus, I won't, whatever it might be. Resistance to God is an exercise in futility. Nobody has ever resisted God and come out a winner. So when we surrender to God, that power of the Holy Spirit that's been latent begins to flow through our lives. Our lives are unkinked, and God begins to flow through us and transform the landscape that we touch, the relationships, the people that we interact with. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When you give your life to Christ, you receive this same power that's given and promised here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you become what you otherwise would not be naturally. You become a witness for Jesus. You become courageous. You become bold. You stand up. You speak out. You do what you otherwise would not do. You say what you otherwise would not say. You tell people about the truth. And Jesus said, and still says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So unkink your life, surrender to God, leave the consequences with him, and you'll see God move mightily throughout your life. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 11. On the day of Pentecost, this is what happened. Both Jews and proselytes, those who converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues or languages the mighty works of God. That's what it means to be a witness. Just tell what God has done in your life. If you're honest, throughout the course of your week, it eventually becomes impossible to not tell somebody about what God has done and is doing in your life. You have to actually cover it up a little bit to get away through the course of a week. If you're interacting with people and not giving God glory and witnessing, just telling your story as you're at your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, if you're interacting with people, eventually God's going to give you the opportunity to tell the truth. Just share his story in your life and let God take you on an amazing, exciting adventure. You know, just this past week, my son and I, my older son and I were out for lunch and he was asking me about when is it right to share Christ in a public setting? When is it an opportunity for us to do that. And when do I not do that? And I was beginning to give him examples. We were sitting in a restaurant and I said, for example, there are people here in the restaurant and they've come to get away from whatever it might be. And you might actually shoot yourself in the foot and be a bad witness if you stood up right here in the restaurant and said in a very loud voice, all things that were true about Jesus and the gospel. That doesn't mean that that's the right way to do it. He said, you have to be led by the Spirit, and you have to trust God for opportunities and circumstances. And then we, with him and the rest of the family, made our way down to Baltimore. We wanted to go to a Barnes & Noble and see if they have my book any place that people could see it or if they had it in a back closet somewhere. That's a story for another day. But when we got out of the car, somebody came up to us and began talking to us. And what did we do? Share the gospel with him. 
either led him to Christ or helped him recommit his life to Christ in the brief time, the brief encounter that we had with him. And my son was blown away because he said, boy, that was an answer to prayer. I had just asked you, when is it right and how do we share the gospel? And the Holy Spirit showed up and gave him a prime example. Because if you haven't recognized this, life is school. Life is school. Parents, grandparents, guardians, we're all homeschoolers if we have children. Every single one of us. Every single one of us, no matter where we go, wherever we go, we have opportunities to simply be honest to God, tell the truth, be a witness, and don't apologize for the power of God that he's given you in the Holy Spirit. He's given you everything you need to stand up and speak out and be an effective witness for Jesus. You can sit there and quake and shake and get all nervous about, well, what am I going to say in this circumstance? What am I going to say in that circumstance? Don't worry about that. How can you possibly anticipate all the circumstances that God's going to put you in in the course of your life? You can't. All you need to be confident of is this, Philippians 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ when you see Jesus face to face. Just be honest with God and let the power of God flow through you. You will be an effective witness and you'll give glory to God and other people will recognize it. It's what happened in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost and it'll happen in your life too as God is writing Acts chapter 29 through your life. Turn with me to Acts chapter two in verse 38. On that great day, the day of Pentecost, when Peter gives his very first sermon, same one who had denied Jesus three times in Jesus' deepest, darkest hour. This is the guy that the Holy Spirit chose to give the message that eclipsed all of Jesus' messages in terms of converts. Only about 500 believers after Jesus' three-year-long ministry. If you read the Bible elsewhere, you understand that that's the case. 500 converts 500 Christians after the three-year ministry of Jesus. Peter, the guy who denied Jesus three times, stands up and in one sermon, 3,000 people come to accept Jesus as the Old Testament Savior, as their Savior. It's mind-blowing. So don't you think that Peter struggled from time to time? How could God use me? There's so much junk in my trunk. I mean, to deny Jesus not once, not twice, but three times after being warned ahead of time that you're going to do that? Come on, man. Come on. God's through with me. I'm a jerk. Yeah, you are, and so am I. Humanly speaking. Now, just a doggone minute. Don't anybody take that clip and put it on YouTube and say he's calling people jerks. I'm just speaking publicly some of the talk and the language that you've been speaking privately about yourself. Jesus didn't die for jerks. He didn't die for junk. He died for you, created in the image of God. You are precious, red, yellow, black, and white. We're all God's children, precious in his sight. The moment we give our lives to Christ, we become his child. And before we give our lives to Christ, no matter how dark or dastardly you might be, you're worth a great deal to God. Jesus would have never died for junk. You ever stop to think about that and really let that sink in? And while you were a sinner, Jesus died for you. See, we need to have that same attitude toward our neighbor who we might think, humanly speaking, is a jerk. 
or family member who, humanly speaking, we might think that they're a jerk. No, we need to begin to see other people through the eyes of God. Precious in the sight of God. Not junk at all, but worth a great deal. It's absolutely mind-blowing. If you want something to blow your fuses as we're rapidly approaching Easter, contemplate the fact that God died for you and finds you to be precious and valuable. And he has that same attitude toward every single person on the face of the earth. That Jesus, who knew no sin and wasn't required to do anything on your behalf, but an obedient surrender to the Father, he left his place of position and authority and came down to die on a cross for you because you're worth a great deal. Because he wanted fellowship with you. God wants you to walk with him every day of your life here and now. And in eternity, he wants to do the same thing. Forever and ever, he wants to embrace you and walk with you, have you walk with him, and to enjoy his presence. If God could use Peter to stand up, even though there was all kinds of stuff in his past, certainly he can use you. There's not much that's more dark and dastardly than being forewarned from the mouth of God himself that you're going to fail, not make adjustments in your life accordingly so that you don't fail, and then failing miserably exactly the way God said it was going to happen, and then to contemplate that God in eternity past knew that I was going to do that, but that didn't prevent him from calling me, didn't prevent him from loving me, and it certainly didn't prevent him from using me. Why in the world is Peter there as a great example for every single one of us that God can use sinful people? God can use imperfect people. In fact, it's not just that God can do that. That's the only thing that God can only and ever and always do with people. Every single one of us has junk in the trunk. Every single one of us has a past. And every single one of us, we usually tend to think more highly of ourselves than we should. We all think that we're more special than the person next to us. That's why we're so selfish. It's baked into us as a result of the fall, human nature. But when we begin to contemplate the love of God that surpasses human intellectual insight, we begin to consider our neighbor as more important than ourselves. When we begin to get serious with God and surrender to him and the kinks of our lives are taken out, and the power of God begins to flow through us, we become witnesses. We actually live like salt, and we change the flavor of the distasteful environments that God places us in. We actually become light in those dark environments that need to see Jesus, and guess what? You're his representative. You are. You're his representative. So of course God's going to use Peter. Who else was he going to use? One of the other guys who ran away when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and they all left him? How about one of those guys? That doesn't seem like a better choice, does it? Maybe James or John, you know, the two guys, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, the guys who would take off their sandals and insert their feet into their mouths. Hey, we want to sit at your right hand and your left hand because we want to have a special place of honor. Those guys, God can use you. God will use you. God wants to use you. In fact, when you gave your life to Christ, he gave you the very power that you need, courtesy of the Holy Spirit, so that you can be useful to Jesus. I say, how about it? Let's go. Let's roll. Let's rumble. 
Let's be rock stars for Jesus, building our lives on him and his teachings so that he can change our world wherever we go. It's what the Christian life is about. Look with me at Acts chapter 4 in verses 12 and 13. Here's an exclusive teaching of Jesus. Jesus said it himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we see the apostles taking Jesus' teaching seriously and being consistent with it in Acts chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the truth of the gospel. And we need to lovingly teach it to others. We need to speak the truth in love. When we withhold that truth, we're not loving people. Don't let people intimidate you and make you think that you're a hater for teaching the exclusive words of Jesus. Listen, people who have a problem with the exclusive teachings of Jesus don't have a problem with you. They don't have a problem with you unless you're presenting the teachings of Jesus with a booger hanging out of your nose. Then they have a problem with you. People who don't like the exclusive teachings of Jesus, the truth, their real problem is with Jesus. And you need to take tremendous comfort in the fact that if they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute you. Get over this idea that if I follow Jesus, I won't be persecuted. You have to be. So what? If God's for you, who can be against you? Look at the amazing stories that we're reading about in the book of Acts about how opposition came. So what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But if you do this, you're going to suffer physical harm, even potential death. So what? I've seen Jesus. So what? God has rescued me. He gave his life for me. I owe him my life. In fact, you can take my life and I'll still have eternal life. You can't take my life any more than you could take Jesus' life. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own free will, my own volition. You'll never be more alive than when you're surrendered to God. Never. I agree. Just need to pause. And let the Spirit of God bake some stuff into our DNA, right? Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. What an amazing statement that is that we would do well as American Christians living in the United States of America today. We would do well to understand that the government we should obey Unless the government tells us to violate a clear teaching in the word of God, unless a local government or the federal government or even an employer tells us you can't live for Jesus in your work environment, you must do what the apostles did when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, obey God rather than people. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will obey God rather than people. Acts chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. Falling to the ground, the apostle Paul, who was not yet the apostle Paul, this was Saul, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, but rise and enter the city. You need to understand that when you're being a faithful witness to Jesus Christ, when people persecute you, they're not just persecuting you, they're persecuting Jesus. 
And this is a man who was very religious, the Apostle Paul, who thought he knew the truths of God, but he didn't understand the author of God's truths, Jesus. He didn't know the author of life, Jesus. And he was doing what he thought was right. He was well-intentioned, he was sincere, and he was zealous, he was passionate, but he was sincerely wrong. And he was persecuting not only the church, he was persecuting Jesus. And you need to understand that when people persecute you, when you are speaking the truth in love, when you're a rock star in your environment and you're speaking the truth in love, when the Spirit of God is flowing through you in power and you're put in that environment at a university or at your workplace or in your neighborhood or in your family, when you end up being the salt shaker in that situation, when you end up being the solitary candle In the midst of that darkness, let your light shine. Let it shine. Understand that God puts you there. And if the persecution is coming because you're standing up and speaking out and speaking the truth in love, you're part of history. And God is writing history through you as one of the people who's part of Acts 29, the ongoing, continuing story of everything that Jesus is continuing to do, courtesy of the power of the Holy Spirit, where you too are somebody who is a witness for Jesus Christ. God changed Saul, a very religious, misguided self-righteous person who was not righteous in the sight of God at all, and if God could do it for him and make him a powerhouse of a witness, he can do it for you too. He can do it for you too. In Acts chapter 10, look what we see here in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 and 45, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among them from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit now goes beyond the Jewish believers to the non-Jewish people. And what we understand from here is that red, yellow, black, white, all of the people on the earth are important in God's sight. And you need to stand up and speak out against racism today. People want to say, well, the founding fathers had slaves. Well, did you know that one of the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, that name sounds familiar. Did he have something to do with the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence? Was he holed up somewhere to actually draft the Constitution? It couldn't be that he, whose family had slaves, imperfect as they were, sinful as they were, could it be that he actually was instrumental in the abolition of slavery? Oh my goodness, we can't hear that today, can we? But it's the truth. And those who are revising history don't want you to know all of the truth. But it's the truth. Thomas Jefferson was instrumental in the abolition of slavery. People will say, well, Christians have used the Bible to justify. Well, you know what? Democrats have used the laws to justify abortion. Republicans have used their own philosophy to justify in political gobbledygook, whether you're on the left or the right, a Republican or Democrat, they've recast that as a woman's right to choose. Where are the civil rights for the unborn these days when we have slaughtered hundreds of thousands of unborn lives? 
Abortion is not a Democrat issue. It's not a Republican issue. It's a liberal issue. When we stray from the teachings of God's word, you'll find Democrats who misuse the Constitution and Republicans who misuse the Constitution and speak out of both sides of their mouths. You'll find presidents who have done that in the past. You'll find maybe the president who's doing that in the present. The point is this. You'll always find somebody to make your point if you look long enough and hard about it. Did you know that even though it's true that unfortunately there are Christians who have justified slavery tried to justify slavery with the use of the Bible. There are also Christians who were instrumental in the abolition of slavery. For example, the Wesleyan denomination fundamentally, accurately, historically, factually involved in the abolition of slavery. But you won't hear that today in today's world of reverse intolerance where Christianity is being demonized and people are trying to revise history but you need to become familiar with history so you can stand up and speak out and let the power of God flow through you. So what if other people have been hypocrites? So what if other people have been walking contradictions? You can be a living sacrifice. And that's what the world needs to see. They need to see you as a rock star who's building your life on the person and the teachings of Jesus, just like we see here in the book of Acts, verses 15, 16, 17, and 18 of Acts chapter 11. As I began to speak, Peter recounting the Holy Spirit fell on them, the Gentiles, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, the Jewish believers, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. God always gets the last word. They glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Jesus is for all people everywhere. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or to observe everything I've taught you, and I'll be with you always into the very black people, white people, yellow people, red people, brown people, male, female, young, old. Jesus is for everybody. We only have one Savior. One. And he died for every single race on the earth and every single sin and sinner on the earth. That's our story, everybody. That's our brand. That's what Christianity is about. Be that person who builds your life on that rock. Be that person who gets out into your neighborhood, out into your workplace, and show them that a real Christian who's filled with the Holy Spirit, a real Christian who doesn't have kinks in their garden hose, is out there in the highways and the byways showing people that everybody needs Jesus. Jesus is for everybody and that you love them regardless of what their sin is. You love them regardless of what their issues are. You love them regardless of what their skin color is, how rich they are, how poor they are, how good looking they are, how ugly they are, how messed up they are because you were messed up and you were ugly and you were far from God and you needed a savior and God knew that and he reached out and he saved you. And if he saved you, he can save anybody. 
That's our Jesus. And you know what else we see in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 13. These people become so enamored with God. They become people of prayer who are led by the Spirit of God. The whole ministry of the Apostle Paul, the result of a prayer meeting. The whole ministry, Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, making Jesus the Lord of their life, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And that's the rest of the book of Acts, the story about this one man, now made righteous by the Son of Man, Jesus. His life is built on the rock of Jesus and his teachings, and he becomes a rock star. We've been reading about him. Huge swaths of the New Testament written by this rock star. And who knows how God's going to use you as a rock star to write history through you as you build your life on the rock, the person of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And you become enamored with God and fearless before people saying what they need to hear at this dark time in our history. People need to hear the truth. They need to see the truth. They need to see it spoken in love. They need to know that you love them. It's not about winning arguments. It's about saving souls. It's not about polarizing people. It's about setting people free. And you've been given the words of eternal life. I've been given the words of eternal life. You've been given the Holy Spirit. I've been given the Holy Spirit. You're about to receive the Holy Spirit if you don't know Jesus. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will. You will. You must. You have to. It's impossible unless you tell him to shut up. You will do what you otherwise could not do. You will say what you otherwise could not say. You will change things and situations and lives that you otherwise would not change because God will get a hold of you and the revival that needs to happen out there will be right there courtesy of you, but not courtesy of you. Greater is he that lives in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that's living in you than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Don't let the Holy Spirit get squelched in your life. The church is characterized by a real hunger for Jesus as manifest in prayer and fasting. And I thank God that more and more are becoming hungry for God through prayer and fasting in our church. It's not about prayer and fasting. It's about Jesus. And when you get really serious about Jesus, you might start to consider praying and fasting more than you currently are. And living in York, Pennsylvania, I know that I could use a little bit of fasting from time to time. It'll help us not only spiritually, but even physically. Enough said. Acts chapter 15, verse 29. In regard to the Gentiles that you abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols, from blood and what's been strangled, from sexual immorality, it's important that when Jesus gets a hold of our lives, that we hold on to Jesus and we leave apart the idols and the things that would detract us and distract us from being fully surrendered to Jesus. And sexual immorality is a big thing. Idolatry is a big thing. Sexual immorality and idolatry are woven together. They're inseparable. 
you're either going to be given over to Jesus or given over to something or somebody other than Jesus. And is it a coincidence, my friends, that by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts in verse 31, look at what it says. This is the Apostle Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance or courage and without hindrance. That is a life that's absolutely transformed courtesy of the power of God. And my friends, God wants you to be courageous for Jesus. He wants you to be bold for Jesus. He wants you to take the power of the Holy Spirit that he's given you or about to give you if you don't know Christ as your Savior yet. He wants you to stand up and speak out with humility and courage. He wants to change your workplace. He wants to change your neighborhood. And he wants it all to begin with the changing, the transformation of your life. No, you can't become the person that God wants you to become in and of your own power. But God can change you. God can transform you. If God has spoken to you about being courageous and surrendered to Jesus so that the power of God is flowing through you to be a witness, would you just stand up wherever you are right now? By standing, you're saying, Lord, I'm yours. I want your power flowing through me. And I surrender to you. And I thank you. Live stream audience, you're watching right now, wherever you are. Radio, podcast, wherever you are right now, this is your moment, your opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to have God write history through you. You can be a rock star. You can be a rock star for the Lord and let the spiritual awakening that we know needs to happen in the nation begin right there with you at the epicenter. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.